Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. What about us? We don't have to submit, right? And he's like, no, you actually do. You actually do need to submit. You don't understand my husband. He's like, I know. I probably don't. I probably don't understand your boss either, but you still got to submit to him. I probably don't totally understand your government either, but you still need to submit to them. He's like, I don't need to know both sides of the story. All I need to know is if you're a believer, this is what you must do. As a representative of Jesus Christ, this is what he's called us to do. And I know these are difficult things. As Christians, we're called to submit to authority. That includes our bosses, government officials, and even our parents. But what does submission really mean? Well, in today's message, Pastor James talks about how submission isn't about being a doormat or blindly following orders. It's about acknowledging that God has placed those in authority over us for a reason. It's about respecting and obeying them while also trusting that God is working through them for our good. Every authority is placed by God. Now here's Pastor James in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, please. This is an interesting one. This is not too complicated, this text anyways that we're going to cover. It's concerning husbands and wives and what a godly Christian marriage should look like. The truth in it is easy to process. The application is where it gets difficult, okay? Let's just say it like that, okay? So you turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. This is just an interesting passage of scripture. So we've been going through 1 Peter, and a lot of it's dealing with Christians and suffering and all that good stuff. And it's written to a group of people who were facing persecution. And because of their belief in Jesus, and the persecution hadn't hit its height yet, but it was coming. And so Peter, as a, as a loving pastor, a shepherd to sheep, he wrote this letter to these churches that are in the kind of the modern-day Turkey region of our planet, as an encouragement to them as they're facing hardships of just being a Christian, being associated with Jesus, following Christ, and, and wanting to live differently, just wanting to do it differently. But they were, they were, I mean, they were going against the stream culturally. And so Peter comes along, and, and all throughout this, he's been just dropping these major theological bombs that are just beautiful. And then he gets into this point in, in chapter 2 where he, talk, he starts talking about submission, right? And how we ought to submit to governing authorities. And there's no way out of that unless the government is asking you to do something that is contrary to what God has commanded you to do, okay? They don't uh, usurp God. They don't have that power, right? So we will be obedient to God before man. And, And that's, but Peter's laying it down like you have to submit to governing authorities. And even if it's a crazy guy, for them, it, this dude was nuts. If it's a crazy guy, you still, you submit to him and you, you, you live out as a witness. But you also have to submit to, to your masters. And he's speaking to a predominant, you know, their predominant congregation was that of slaves, household servants. He says, so he goes from the government and into their, their job, their employment realm. And he says, you have to submit to your masters, whether they're good or bad, it doesn't matter. You have to submit to them. That's just how it is. 
Be a good witness. Win them over by your example, so to speak. And then he goes, so it goes from government to your employment and then into your household. And the theme of submission just continues on. And then after this, we won't get there today, but in verse 8 of chapter 3, he'll talk to the whole body and say, you have to submit to each other. Okay, so nobody's exempt from submission. Nobody gets an out. And, and unfortunately, we talked about this before, but in, in our area, in our side of the planet, this submission gets just a bad rap because it was abused. Let's be honest. We have years of this term being abused and true biblical submission not being represented in marriages that claim to be Christian marriages, okay? Where there may be, you know, one, one partner taking advantage of the other one or being domineering or abusive and all that, and then under the banner of submission. That's not submission. It's not biblical submission. That's subjection, okay? And then I define those two things, but with the help of Warren Wearsby last week of saying, subjection is where you lose your identity. Submission is where you gain your identity. There's freedom in submission. There's loss of freedom in subjection, so any marriages you may have, you know, within your mind of where you saw that it would just, you know, quote unquote, Christian marriages where there was a lot of abuse going on, just so you understand, that's not biblical submission. You know, me sitting in my recliner and barking commands at my wife, that's not like, that's domineering. That's not biblical. Okay. That's not a, that's not an example of what we're going to be talking about today of Biblical submission, okay? So Peter goes right into this. He has a lot for wives and only one little thing for guys, okay? And I, I heard the silly illustration. John Corson said this about, about this, and, and you may be wondering, well, why do the wives get so much? And he illustrated it like this. Let's say you go to a pet store and you purchase a turkey. I don't know why he used a turkey, but you'll maybe understand at the end of it, Right? He's like, so if you purchase a turkey, you're going to get an owner's manual, excuse me, of how to take care of the turkey, right? He says, so you purchase a turkey and take the turkey home. He's like, what the turkey never receives is any kind of manual because turkey's a turkey, right? He says, the manual goes to the smart person. More instructions go to the smarter one to learn how to like manage this all, right? And so he used that as a silly illustration to be like, the Lord knows, and he's giving, yeah, there's more in here for women, but he's like kind of acknowledging, he's like, ladies, you get it. You, you get it. Guys, we just need just one thing. Just give me one thing, right? Not saying that guys are dumb, but I think ladies kind of understand sometimes they're a little bit better than we do, right? If you're on it, maybe that's just me. I don't know. So you're like, wait a minute, are you calling me a turkey? I didn't. John Corson did. Take it up with him. But it really is a, it's an interesting breakdown that this, most of this section is directed towards the women, and then there is, one, there is one thing directed towards the men, and within that one, it's broken down to a few other things. But let's look at this. He says, in the same way. So that's connecting this to everything that we've been going through. In the same way, or in the same manner, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. That's another way of saying you wives need to submit to your husbands, right? So don't tune me out there. Okay, don't think like, I don't think so. No, we, we need to listen to this. We need to understand what he's saying. Accept the authority of your husbands. The biblical model for marriage was created by God, okay? I don't care what laws our government signs, okay? Marriage is God's thing. We as humans don't get to define what marriage is. Let's get this clear. You call it whatever you want to call it, but you can't call it marriage. 
not biblically speaking, just so we understand that. Civil unions, whatever else you want to call it, you know what? The world's going to do what the world's going to do. But you can't call it marriage based on what the Bible defines as marriage. So we need to do this because even our, our government just signed into a thing where you have to recognize all marriages, okay? And that's going to be a problem for the church. It's going to be a problem for the church. It'll be a, it'll be a problem for pastors like myself who do weddings, who love doing weddings. But there's weddings that I won't do. There's weddings that I won't do. And that gets me in trouble, then that's fine. But God instituted marriage, man and woman. I know that's controversial nowadays, but I don't really care. That's his design. He made everything. He made you. He made me. He created this thing called marriage. He gets to define the parameters of marriage. We as human beings don't get to define or redefine marriage. We don't get to do that. You can make up something else, but you cannot take marriage. The problem with this is it's, a, it's an attack on the family unit that God has established. We should not be surprised by this because if you read your Bibles, all you got to do is go back to the very beginning and you see that the attack, the warfare began at the beginning. Adam and Eve, a man and a woman that God created and brought together. And as soon as that happened, what? An attack happened. Why? Because Satan doesn't want godly marriages. Satan doesn't want godly families. That's a threat to his kingdom. Because there's there's a war that we're in, okay? And and, and there's a battle going on. And There's the Lord and his kingdom, but you have the enemy and he's, he is directly assaulting everything that the Lord has instituted or created. And God set the order for marriage and how God set it up was the, the husband would be the head of the family. Whether we like it or not, that's how he created it. And here's what I have to do. And I love it, not because I'm a guy. I love it because it came from God and he's brilliant. Am I going to, who am I to think I'm going to argue with him in his ways? That would be nonsensical. That would be really silly to think like, no, God, I think you got it wrong. Right? That was old times. We've grown so much. We're so much smarter now, God. I don't think we actually are. I don't think we are. I think we're de-evolving or devolving technically because we have these beautiful little things. And uh, what I noticed more so than anything is we, we've resulted to caveman language. Right? LOL. LOL. Yeah. Yeah, right? We send little images. Like, we are drawing on rocks now, guys. That's who we are. That is who, what we've become. How many letters have you handwritten this month? Probably not a lot, right? We don't do this stuff anymore. But... Anyways, but we're so much smarter now. Technology is growing and all that good stuff. I understand that. But um, we think we're, sometimes we get in our minds that we're, we're just smarter than God, that we're smarter than him. He doesn't understand. These are old, outdated things. And no, we, we live in modern times now and all this good stuff. No, what he established, he established because he's way more brilliant than any of us will ever be. And he knows what he's doing. And we know that from the book of Ephesians, that God had modeled it like Christ is the head of the church. So the husband ought to be the head of the family, right? He set, he set that in place. So 
When it comes to submission, he's just saying, hey, you wives, come under the covering of your husband. Just come under the covering and the authority of your husband. It doesn't mean you're less than him. It doesn't, this isn't talking about intrinsic value or anything like that. This is talking about how God had established it. And I was able to do, a, well, I've done a, my goodness, I've done a lot of weddings in the past month, right? But I was able to be up in Arkansas with our friends Nate and Genesis. And as I was planning and preparing for that wedding, I was listening to another pastor talk about marriage. And he used this illustration that I was able to take and use with them concerning a husband and a wife relationship. And, and the goal for a husband and a wife, and, and you can picture it as if we had a, a, a wife here or a bride here and the groom here, and they're facing each other. They're, they have this face-to-face contact with each other. And I said, look, this is your goal for your marriage. For as much as it, you possibly can, you want face-to-face time for as much as you can. And when you have to, you turn shoulder to shoulder because you've got work to do, right? You've got bills to pay. So you have to go shoulder to shoulder and accomplish things. That's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They, went, they had face-to-face time, but they also had shoulder to shoulder time. And it was a beautiful setup. The thing that happens to us is we continue to revolve and we become back-to-back. And in the illustration that the pastor uses, that's not like in the sense of I got your back kind of a thing, but it's like a drifting away kind of a thing. And that's not what we want. And if we notice that, then it's like, no, 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 we need to come back to where we're face to face. And this beautiful arrangement that God has put into place. And so in his brilliance of putting, creating this thing called marriage, he asked wives, he's like, look, Just align yourself, in some military term, to align yourself under the leadership of your husband. Wives, that put you in a, I'm going to say this, a nice spot. Now, I I understand there's challenges to this, but hear me out on this. When you stand before the Lord, the the Lord will hold your husband accountable for how he led you and your family. There are some things he won't hold you accountable for that you are trying to make happen in your family. You're trying to lead. No, that's his job. And God will hold him accountable for that. I don't know how all that plays out, but I do know there will be a day where I stand before Jesus and he says, tell me about your family. How did you lead your wife? How did you lead your kids? Well, I, you know, I'm kind of timid. So you really need to ask Nelly that question. You know, I, like, no, he's like, no, no, no. You're the one that I put as head of your, of your family. That's a sobering wake-up call for us guys. You've got to get with it. You've got to get with it. The Lord has placed a tremendous calling on your life. If you're married, you're the leader. Be a leader. Get with it. You will answer to that one day. Wives, you will have your own things you will have to answer to, for sure. But when it comes to leading, this spiritual leadership of, your, of the family and all that good stuff, Hopefully, you have a husband that you can align yourself under and just say, you know what, I just trust the Lord. I trust the Lord that you're hearing from him, and I'm going to follow, and I'm going to follow. Now, you may be thinking like, well, what if my husband doesn't know the Lord? You submit to your husband. You still submit. I mean, that's, there's, no, there's no out within this text. Because Peter knows who he's talking to, and he knows he's talking to individuals, and right now, specifically wives, who may have gotten saved, but yet their husbands haven't gotten saved. Well, what about us? We don't have to submit, right? And he's like, no, you actually do. You actually do need to submit. You don't understand my husband. Peter's like, I know. I probably don't. 
I probably don't understand your boss either, but you still got to submit to him. I probably don't totally understand your government either, but you still need to submit to them. He's like, I don't need to know both sides of the story. All I need to know is if you're a believer, this is what you must do. As a representative of Jesus Christ, this is what he's called us to do. And I know these are difficult things. I know, unfortunately, we have, you know, there's marriage stories where this is a challenging thing. But and please hear me out, because I referenced this last week as well. If there's like violence or abuse in the house, seek safety. Okay? There's this nonsensical thing I've heard a pastor say before, like, no, you need to stay in that home. That's dumb. That's not smart. If there's physical abuse, you seek safety. But I have to submit. You need to, you, well, you need to stay alive. And you need to take care of your kids if there's abuse going on. And then, you know what? If, and you, the Lord knows, okay? But I would never encourage anybody who is, who is caught up in an abusive situation to stay there and just to keep your mouth shut, as I've heard from other pastors before. That's ridiculous. So we're not talking about that. So, but I do want to add that little caveat. If that's the case, then you seek safety. For you, for your kids, whatever, seek safety. But if your story's not one of abuse, he's just like, my husband's just not interested in Christianity. Submit. Submit to him. Look at it. He goes, you know, accept the authority of your husband's. It says, then even if some refuse to obey the good news or the gospel or the word, your godly lives will speak to them, oh, here's the key, without words. Without words. Let me talk to your wives for a second. You, you don't have to nag your husband concerning the gospel. Actually, that's probably doing more damage than anything, right? You don't have to say anything. You don't need to preach sermons to him. If you've got a husband who's not a Christ follower, you don't have to preach any sermons to him. You don't need to do that. You don't need to turn the radio station onto the Christian station, you know, in his car. So, he, you know, sneaky style or whatever. You don't need to do that. All you need to do is just live your life as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. George Mueller used this illustration once he was talking about, there, there was an individual, a man who was pretty domineering in his family, and he was at the bar or the pub, because he's, you know, England. Uh, he was at the pub one day, and he was bragging to his friends, and his wife is a Christian, and he was bragging to his friends. He's like, look, my wife will do anything and everything I tell her to do. Not ask, tell her. He's like, I bet we can all leave here right now, go to my house, and I will tell her to make us a meal, and she will do it. You know, they're all, you know, drinking and all that good stuff. And they're like, yeah, right, you know, all that. And so they go and they go to his house and it's, it's late in the evening and all that good stuff. And, and he comes in there and he, and he demands of her, make us a meal. And she does it. And she makes him the best meal, just in silence. And she comes and she serves all of them. And his friends are absolutely disgusted with him. They're like, how dare you? You have such a good woman. How dare you take advantage of her like this? How dare you abuse her like this? And they left. And that stung this man. Eventually down the road, George Mueller tells us that this guy ends up getting saved because of his wife's quiet witness. He just couldn't get past it. 
and, and what his friends had told him and just everything that she had just modeled in, in her proclamation was, I was going to make the best meal I could possibly make him whenever. I was going to serve him in the best way that I could possibly serve him whenever. If he asked me to do something, I was going to do it and I was going to give it my best. She's like, I, because I represent the Lord Jesus. She said, I know my husband's not saved, but he will see Jesus through me. And her husband ended up getting saved. And she never preached the word to him. She never, you know, snuck a little gospel track in his lunchbox or anything like that. She didn't do anything like that. She just actually, get this, lived like a Christian. She just lived like one. And that won her husband over. And there are hundreds and hundreds of stories just like that one. And Peter's just, he's expressing this to, the, to these women. He's like, look, he's like, just you live a godly life. And he's going to illustrate this by kind of like what to focus in on and what not to focus in on. He says, they're going to be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives, your devotion to God. It will win them over. And I know that there are some marriages where, you know, individuals are still waiting for that to happen for them. And I would just say, just hold on, just hold on. And you just keep representing the Lord Jesus. We serve a God who sees. We serve a God who knows. And he understands if you might be in a difficult marriage situation, he knows that. He's aware of that. He's, he loves you. But he also loves your spouse. Verse 3 says, don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. All right, now pause there. Don't be concerned about, okay, because there's, there's friends of ours who take this verse and they apply it to an extreme level, meaning don't fix your hair, don't wear nice clothes, don't wear jewelry. That's not what the word says. It's not what it says. It says don't make that the thing about you. Don't focus so much on the external beauty. He doesn't say, you know, if you want to wear makeup, wear makeup. If you want to wear jewelry, wear jewelry. If you want to get your hair did, or whatever you say now, then go for it, right? Like, I mean, why not? That doesn't mean you're an idolater. It doesn't mean you have, you know, all these, like, you care more about the outside. That's what people are going to throw at you. Unfortunately for you ladies, you get a lot of this, which is just sad. Because if you show up and if you're like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to show up and I'm going to dress nice, you know, to this event or to this or church function. And you have people looking down their nose at you like, oh, well, they obviously care more about the external than the internal. And you're like, can you be quiet? Can you be quiet, please? Keep that to yourself. Your judgmental mindset, please keep it to yourself because you know nobody's business. So you want to wear makeup? Wear makeup. You want to fix your hair? Do it. Go for it. But don't let that be the whole thing. Don't let that be the main thing. And that was the issue back then, was they were trying to make it, you know, an external showing of like, of, of you know, their beauty and focusing in on that and all the good stuff. But he, he says here, verse four, he says, you should clothe yourselves instead with beauty that comes from within. The unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which what is precious to God.
In the book of 1 Peter, you hear a lot about suffering. Our own suffering is something that we have to work through. And Peter reminds us that Jesus suffered too. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, For this is commendable, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. A few verses later it says, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled did not revile in return when he suffered. He did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What Peter's getting at in these verses is that as a Christian, you're going to suffer persecution. But Jesus wasn't exempt from suffering either. In fact, he was treated worse than anyone, although he was without sin. Imagine being completely guiltless, faultless, sinless. It just seems so wrong for Jesus to have been falsely accused the way he was. May you find strength and courage in the fact that Jesus suffered at the hands of brutal and mean-spirited men. He knows what you're going through right now, and you can turn to Jesus for comfort and help. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle here on Bread for the Broken. If you'd like to hear additional messages like this one, go to breadforthebroken.com. Thanks so much for listening to today's teaching here in the book of 1 Peter. We'll be back next time with more as the Apostle Peter speaks some encouraging words that our souls will want to hear. So come back again next time to Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.